0: So first, when I speak about the future, I want to make clear what it is. The purpose of the future is not prediction. Uh, Most of you will, uh, as part of your work in the next 10 years, become futurists yourself. Because the future isn't about tomorrow. The future is here. If you go to Palo Alto, California, you can drive a self-driving car called a Waymo. You can order it, you can sit in it, there's no driver. That's the future right there. If you have a million dollars, you can connect your brain to the internet. And you can read Wikipedia with your brain. It's all already here. So when we think about the future, we no longer think about science fiction. We think about basically just a week away. The purpose of the future is this, right? It is to be better prepared. Both for yourself and for the company that you work with, your country, whatever of interest that you have. Enable us to make better decisions. Right? For example, if you have kids, I have two kids, right? You gotta figure out what you're going to teach them. Right? You're going to figure uh, to help your kids uh, figure out programming? Should all the kids be programmers? Well that was ten years ago, right? Now a computer can program a computer. It's called AI. Right? <laughs> So, programming is no longer, yeah, it's nice to be able to program, just like it's nice to speak Latin, you know, my age, right? It's a good skill to program, but it won't save us. That's a really important question, what are the skills of the talent that we need? And this is the most important symbol in my work. It's from the 1930s, when in World War II, the soldiers were wearing these big outfits to listen to enemy planes. And in Japan, some of those were like 10 meters tall, like with a little tube to your ear. Right? Because then it would be like super hearing, right? Unfortunately, it's only men that did this. I can't show you one with a woman, but I'm sure it would apply equally. But basically, this is the idea of the future, right? Listening to the future. If you do that today and you spend roughly one hour a day listening to the future, I'm not talking about Netflix here or so, right? I'm talking about reading talking about the future, you'll find a safe way forward. Right? The people that do this, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, the Google guys, Zuckerberg to some degree, you know, they, they live in the future, right? I mean, that's the strange thing about Elon Musk, huh? hard to understand, he really lives in a different place. So, uh, Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce, one of the most successful companies in history, software companies, says, you need to get to the future ahead of your customers and be ready to greet them when they arrive. And that is so true, especially in energy, right? Because a lot of customers today don't really understand how that works with renewable energy and the, the prices. And, you know, it's complicated, right? Everywhere. So we have to guide the customer, but not into, you know, Star Trek, science fiction, right? to the next place. Every successful business does this. Right? And this is the reason why Tesla, for example, the car company, uh, is so successful. It's not a better car. You know, I tried it, it's terrible. I don't like Teslas. Right? I prefer BMWs and Audis. And, right? But this is what they do. The first time I drove a Tesla in California, I wanted to buy one because it had a big screen in the middle, like my iPad. You know? It's just great to work on the screen and while you're in the traffic jam to check your emails. and yeah, So this is what we have to do. Great example in the car a company business, right? Look at here 2022, most of the business of car companies is called ICE, Internal Combustion Engines, right? Gas engines. That's a big part, the biggest part of the car industry. Now it's projected that gas engines will be replaced by electric engines, right? Here, the blue one, and ultimately, car companies will sell software packages. So, for example, if I have a self-driving car, I'll buy a software package so that I can do remote driving. Tesla is Tesla's already doing this. Look at the shift here, right? From the gas engine to selling software. I mean, this is a fundamental shift in the business model. Right? So here you have German car companies, like Audi, BMW and others. They spent 50 years or 60 years 30,000 people working on making the perfect engine. The gas engine. The ice engine. Ice combustion engine. One day, Tesla comes up and does this. Five years later, everybody gets fired that works on the engine. Because it's not an engine anymore, it's software. It's electric. It's going to be the same for energy. The good old structure of fossil fuels, coal, oil, and gas is being dismantled to move to renewable resources and probably next generation nuclear. You know, Big discussion there, right? But clearly, we have to get rid of, of the ICE, the combustion engine, and we can. We have the tech. I just came back from Portugal. Portugal is one of the leading countries in the world for, for solar energy right? and for technology being used. Well, that's all possible. And here in Switzerland, of course, we have very large portions using water, wind, and other possibilities, right? So this is really the motto, I think, for the future. Get ready to lead your customer. Looking back at the car industry again, I call this gasoline thinking, right? This is kind of like what my first car looked like. Yeah, it was a nice, fancy American car. In in this world, we have a car that goes fast and makes lots of noise. And you put gas inside. Okay. That's how I grew up. Many of you also. But that's not the future. Well, the future is completely different. Right? This is the future. Right? I'm not driving. I'm not in charge of the car. I do what I want in there. And hopefully, it won't have to cost you know two hundred thousand to get in a car like this. And even more so. This is the future, right? Every possible multimodal transportation. Micromobility, flying uh, taxis, uh, scooters. Yeah. I mean, who in their right mind is going to buy a car with a gas engine? Even today. I bet if you're thinking of buying a car, you're thinking hard about whether I should have a gas engine. Right? I mean, my next car isn't going to have, I don't have a car now, so I, I do these things. Right? But basically, what's happening here is a big shift. And that shift is everywhere. And you guys being from an energy company, that is ultimately, of course, where it goes. So last year, in the middle of COVID, I got fed up with being at home doing online events. So I make one film a year, and I went to Lanzarote, Canary Islands, to make this film called The Good Future. Because, you know, last year was a, sort of a uh, an epicenter of where lots of people were talking like, you know, the world is going to shit, basically, right, COVID and, and energy crisis and climate change and, you know, nobody's nobody's going anywhere and so on and so on, right? And I always thought the future is better than we think. So I went to Lancero to make this film, you can watch it at goodfuturefilm.com. But I want to show you, share some of the concepts in there. So. Basically, for the next 10 years, we're at the point where we are going to make a decision. Is it a dying world, a red world, or a blue world? Which one is it? That's going to be our decision. The next 10 years will be the point where we have more change than the previous 100 years. Automation, artificial intelligence, genetic engineering, battery technology, blockchain. The list goes on. It's endless. Right? So, when we do it all correctly, we can definitely build a blue planet, you know? Again, rebuild it, so to speak. We can. It's not too late. We are going to see roughly one and a half, two, maybe two and a half degrees of warming, which will cost trillions, hundreds of trillions. But if we we play it right, we can then actually go back and reduce it again. We can. We have the scientific means to do this. So we're entering the sort of decisive decade. If we do nothing in the next 10 years, we're going to be toast in roughly 50 years—truly toast in the sense of burned. Right? Think about your kids there for a second. How quickly this is happening! We had peak heat waves this year, drought, famine, floods, energy problems, everything. Right? And that was anticipated for guess what? 2030. And here we are, 22. Right? So. We're entering that, that decade where everything is coming to a sort of an emergency scenario, but my view again is, we can definitely do this. We're just not making the right decisions. Right? Famous futurist um, Buckminster Fuller said, or E.O. Wilson as well, he said, humanity is inventing all the right technology, but use it for the wrong reason. So, so instead of using our technology to solve climate change and to make things more efficient, to avoid pollution, uh, and to switch to renewable energy, we use it to make better weapons. In fact, we spend as much on weapons as we should be spending on climate change. Right? That's roughly 2 or 3% of global GDP is needed to change the way that we do energy 150 trillion a year. You know. Something around that. Right? Same as military. So, if we go into this future, here are the, what I call the game changers. Right? So, big data, cloud computing, the Internet of Things, quantum computing, language recognition, artificial intelligence, uh, the blockchain, 3D printing, virtuality, and genetic engineering. It's enough to make your head spin when you're looking at all these things, because these things are not far away. The other day I saw a demo at a place where they were, in China, where they were 3D printing a house with a printer. So you have a giant printer that's like 100 meters long and it makes the walls of a house and the furniture. it prints the whole thing in 24 hours. One house after the other. You can print it where it should go or you can transport it, very ugly houses. but And you can 3D print an earlobe You can 3D print a tooth. There's a Japanese company that's printing your uh, implant while you're sitting in the chair of the dentist, printing the implant. Not that I would go there, but, you know. Anyway, so that's all happening, and the most important part is we're living in an exponential world. Exponential means Moore's law, Metcalf's law. We're leaping. Ten years ago, we didn't have Spotify. We had to use Napster or BitTorrent or whatever, right? Today we have that. That's a big difference. But in 10 years, we're going to be able to watch every movie ever shot in 50 languages in real time, and lip-syncing. Because AI will do that. We can translate anything on demand. We can talk to anybody, of course, around the world for free, as we can today. But everybody will be connected. In 2030, we're going to have 9 billion people on the Internet. Can you imagine? It's roughly 4.5 billion now. So big, big changes coming up. The world is no longer linear. Since you're the talent of Expo, uh, yeah, we can't think linear. One, two, three, four, five, six. That is not going to work, right? Because the world is leaping. I mean, we are linear. We can't implant technology and think faster. Not yet. Probably shouldn't. And we all live longer, but we're not exponential. Computers are exponential. We have to understand this because, you know, it used to be that one innovation would take five years or 10 years, and, and now it's five weeks. It's leaping. So forget this linear idea, right? Because now we here 30 linear steps from here, I get out to the balcony out there, 30 steps exponentially, 26 times around the world. So when I go four, eight, 16, and so on, Basically, in 10 years, I'm at 256, that's 80x of today. If I go another 10 years, 1 million. Your kids are going to live in a world that's 1 million times as different as today. So that's both good news and bad news, because we have to get used to it, right? But we're essentially looking at five different revolutions. You've seen those here, that's an old hat. Now, you're lucky, I'm lucky, we get to live in a world of three other revolutions. First, the digital revolution. Everything is networked, smart, intelligent. The sustainable revolution. Everything is going green, becoming sustainable. And last, the human revolution. We're able to change what we are. The mRNA technology that's used in the vaccine tells the cell to do a certain job that it would otherwise not do. It doesn't actually go in and change the cell, it gives a command. It's not like the other uh, vaccines that we had before. And the same technology can be used, for example, to avoid diabetes. Potentially solve cancer. I mean, not heal cancer, solve cancer, right? prevent it. Imagine if that happens, all these things happen, are going to happen in the next 10 to 15 years. I mean, the sustainability revolution is the biggest revolution in our recent history of the last 100 years. We've lived in a fossil fuel economy, happily doing what we had to do. You know, the, the last 25 years, was we created 50% of the entire global CO2. In 25 years. People like me. Not like you, because you're still young. Most of you. Right. It's, it's a weird story, right? Because most people my age, between, you know, say 40 and 70, they are actually responsible for 50% of all the CO2. Right. Before that, it was slow. And imagine if we, if we continue this, you know, it's a certain, I think UN General Secretary said, it's either collective action or collective suicide. Right. So this is only the tip of the iceberg now. So this chart kind of says it all, especially here in Switzerland. I know many of you are not from Switzerland, but Switzerland being a rich and neutral uh, country, I've been living here for 15 years, we have produced more capital, more money than ever before. More richness. In America, the average CEO makes 365 times as much as his worker. That's not in Switzerland, but imagine that, yeah? You make 365 times as much as your average worker that works for you. This is what happened, right? We have more money. Human capital, which is education, people, and so on, has increased a little bit. Here's the worst news, right? This natural capital, dead. Glaciers. Water. Everything. Mining. So really what happened here, and then we can see that here in Switzerland, right? this is a chart from yesterday from The Economist, where you see the uh, decline of Swiss glaciers right here in Switzerland. The green line is 2022. And we've had the worst decline in the glacier, uh, in all of the Swiss glaciers in the last five years. You know, I went to the Korvach, if you're in Switzerland, you know where that is, right? in Gaben. I went to the Korvach to go hiking. I go up to the Korvach and it's like, I was shocked to see that they had put big wrappers, you know, uh, sheets of, of uh, textile on top of the glacier to keep it from melting. So, yeah, this is what we have today. So we have a situation that can be safely described as this. So it's no wonder that people are talking about climate emergency. This isn't just urgent; it's a lot more than urgent. Right? But there are lots of reasons to believe that we can still tackle it because really what people are realizing now with COVID, the Ukraine war, climate change, is this. Business as usual is dead or dying. Business as usual, for example, is the biggest company in the world. What is the biggest and most powerful company in the world? Anybody want to guess? It's not Apple. It was Apple. Uh, Aramco, the Saudi oil company. And why is that? Why in the world are people still investing in Aramco? <laughs> that's like investing in collective killing. And that's swear I think in the next couple of years, probably five to ten years, we're going to see it declared to be a crime to invest in in oil exportation. Because what we see here is basically the end of all these things that used to be okay somehow. And it's not just oil and gas and fossil fuel industry, but I'll get to what that means actually for you. Job in the future, but really, what it means now is that we're shifting from profit and growth to what I call the the four P's. That isn't new; has been around for a while. People Planet Profit. I call it People Planet Purpose and Prosperity. So it's basically going away from the one obsession of growth and GDP. And then your company is a great example for this, and many other companies that are, for example, Unilever and Patagonia and others who are shifting to a new way of looking at the world. I think a CEO should not get paid any dividend or bonus until they've ticked all the four boxes. I don't think companies should pay out dividends or buy other companies or do anything un- unless we've approved that they've done the right job on all four of these. Because anything else is going to, in a very short time, take us to the top of the lead. Okay. And there's nowhere to go. And here in Switzerland, we're actually uh, doing quite well with this idea of expanding it. Just in the last uh, summit in Davos, a bunch of tech companies uh, declared what they call the first mover coalition. Uh, So Google and Microsoft, and I think it was also uh, Salesforce and others, got together and said they're going to go net zero, not put out any CO2 for all of the data centers and computers by 2030, in some cases by 2025. So this is how urgent things are becoming now. uh, And of course the Russia-Ukraine war is adding more pressure on this, you know, how we can actually solve this. So, Kevin Kelly, who is a great futurist, the founder of Wired magazine, he says we should be optimistic. And I agree with him. Because Kevin says the way that the future is going to shape up is not utopia. Utopia is like Star Trek, you know, everything is hunky-dory and everything is fine, or dystopia, which is pretty much everything you watch on Netflix, uh, like Black Mirror, right? <laughs> you've seen Black Mirror, I'm sure, uh, or Ex Machina, and so on. We should have what he calls um, a not actually, protopia, the protopian vi- uh, vision, which is something that's in between the utopia and reality. Right? And we should be optimistic, because our capacity to solve is much bigger. Our problems have gone on forever, right? But we can solve things. Of course, you know, you work for an energy company. It is entirely possible to create enough energy now, both saving energy and pollution, as well as creating new energy in different ways. Give you some examples. This chart shows you how much technology we have that has come to the takeoff point. Energy storage, artificial intelligence, blockchain, genome sequencing, it's all been going on for a long time, exploding. We're inventing things every week. The other day somebody invented about, what was it about 18 months ago, a new kind of concrete that we can use for building. I don't know if you're aware of this, but now we have 40,000 kilos of concrete for each person alive on the planet, is how much we have created. You know, buildings, bridges, and can't be recycled. That's a little bit of a problem. So now we're going to have new concrete because it's being invented like this. Uh, We're going to see all these trillion dollar markets exploding in new possibilities. There's plenty of money here. Going green means a whole new shift to a new pot of money. It's not something we do because we're altruists. And technology is getting cheaper and cheaper. Cost reduction, except for the iPhone, which keeps getting more expensive. I don't know. That's probably an apple decision. Everything is getting cheaper. So it will be entirely possible to desalinate water from the ocean for very little money. Very expensive now. To to send energy through what's called the intergrid right? from country to country to transport it in batteries. All that stuff is becoming possible. And this, of course, this is your chart, right? I mean, it speaks volumes about... Everything that's possible in climate technology now. Um, Larry Fink, who runs a big uh, fund called BlackRock, he said the other day the next $100 billion companies, the unicorns, will be in climate technology. Because, you know, it's a, there's a real need, there's a real way to do it. Technology is getting there. And many countries around the world are enforcing this now. I mean, this is, of course, Switzerland's chance to to get to an international audience. So, green is the new digital. I mean, if you were not quite ready for the digital revolution that I took part in in the 90s, you know, when the internet came up and we thought, okay, wow, amazing, we'll solve everything, right? That was a big revolution. Now, sustainability revolution, together with technology, is going to influence the next 50 years of everything. Consider yourself lucky you're here now because this is the key to actually creating a better world and working together. Now let me talk about what that means for us and for your work and networking and and learning. We have to be aware that technology will not solve every problem because we can have the best technology, but if we have bad policy, it's still useless, right? So for example, we invented the COVID vaccine in 13 months. And then we decided, in our wisdom, to not give it away for free, right? Because, you know, we want to get paid. The Pharma companies want to get paid, which I understand, you know, reasonable, right? But still, result is 41% of the world isn't vaccinated. No matter what you think about vaccination, that is a bad idea, right? So that's what happened there, kind of fell down. And, and here, basically, when we have technology, we move ahead, for example, creating automation. Cars will drive themselves. Airplanes will fly themselves. Well, we're going to have to help the people that are out of a job, right? Technology doesn't do that. The worst thing is this. Technology is both good and bad. I can take a hammer and come and kill you, or I can build a house. Same thing with AI, with automation, same thing. So Zuckerberg has a hammer, Facebook, Meta, Right. And they build a huge thing out of it, and now they're using it to kill democracy. Right. Not by purpose, by accident. Right. Because on Facebook you see negative news six times as much as you see positive news. And a lot of people think the world is going bad, and we have to vote for, you know, Erdogan. Okay. And Bolsonaro. To get the strong people, you know, to fix things. Right. So, technology has no ethics, and this is why it's really important And when you work with technology, you consider what it does for people. We can no longer just use technology and say, well, this is great because, you know, X, Y, Z, faster, bigger margin, In fact, you could say, you know, Facebook is a great example. Facebook makes about $150 million profit per day. Profit. Per day. Where does all that money go? to six major cities in the US, where Facebook is, where the employees are, where the bonuses get paid. It doesn't go to artists and writers, or people who put content on Facebook. So that's something we have to fix. So let's talk about what that means for work. Many people have said when computers get smart, which they are starting to be smart, then we're kind of out of a job. Nothing is further from the truth. Of course, if you do the job of a robot, like in a factory, you know, welding, putting apart left and right, you know, yeah. Then yes. If you work in a supermarket, and you're checking out people's purchases, some supermarkets wouldn't care if there's a machine, right? So I go by and I scan. But if you're in Italy or France or, or Portugal or Spain, and you're in a small market, the person that checks you out is the connector. right? They know everybody, they talk to you. You can ask questions. You don't want to fire that person. You can automate the checkout, but you want to keep the person. Right? So it's not that simple. Well, you get the point there. Right? The machine looks like it's watching, understanding, you know, connecting with Mick Jagger, right? But the machine is just programmed. The machine has a programming mode that says, I know every possible move of Mick Jagger. I've watched all the videos, right? And I sync the sound. I look at the other guys. It's okay. Imagine, for example, with AI, if you're going into your closet, you're looking for socks. Okay. You have a drawer or a few drawers of socks. And you know tonight you should wear the red socks, right? So you go and you look, you take it out, you know where to look. That's what a computer does. It goes into a giant armor in a giant house. With 500 billion drawers. And there's a word and a meaning, a keyword, a, a scene, a video <laughs> in the drawer, right? And the computer just goes, right? And you get this. But the computer has no idea whatever it means. It has no idea whatsoever how it all hangs together. Right? The computer is as far from Mick Jagger as a toaster is from intelligence. But it's impressive. So we're heading into the future where this is going on, and of course, virtuality will allow us to go inside of machines. The metaverse you may have heard about. Right? And that's going to be great for work, because if you're controlling, for example, a grid, electric grid, you know, to see information like uh, Tom Cruise a Minority Report, where you can pull it out like this, and you know, that would be great for work. But this is kind of what's happening. So now we have an AI, Called DAL E. And DAL E is an AI that makes graphic images, pictures that never existed before by typing in a word input. So it's essentially a designer as an AI. So you can type in stuff like, you know, a a penguin on an airplane twittering about New York. Obvious choice, right? And it, it will make a picture. This is a cover of Cosmopolitan magazine, two months ago, made by an AI in 12 seconds, for free. Here's the video. Today I'm back with a demo this time to show you that AI is absolutely capable of imagination. Check this out. So here's an actual demo of Dali, where somebody types in a girl in a red shirt walking up a staircase. They hit generate, and in about 10 seconds, Dali generates these photorealistic images that look like straight-up stock photography. Look at this. She changes the staircase to be an infinity staircase. And then it produces all of these beautiful abstract images that look like they were professionally made. And for the grand finale, she changes the staircase to be made... Well, you get the point, right? But do you agree with this dude that AI is capable of imagination? That's not what's going on here, right? The AI has access to hundreds of millions of pictures. And it just makes the most plausible combination and makes it look good with a graphic program. That's fancy, right? But it's not imagination. It certainly isn't intelligence. A human designer would say, well, let me see, let me start with what you like, and, you know, it would be an hour long process, and be expensive and everything, right? But that's completely different. Machines don't do what humans do. And the metaverse, for example, when we look at this latest thing, that's, you know, the virtual reality thing, is a similar issue. I think it'd be very entertaining, especially for gamers, to work in an environment where you can go into the virtual space. Oculus Rift, I don't know if you've ever tried Oculus Rift or Microsoft HoloLens, which I hear is widely used actually for grid operators now. What's called a digital twin. But basically here you have all of these possibilities are now becoming reality. So in the future, if you're a doctor, you can practice you know, like this i obviously not the same in a real body yet, but language translation. So all that stuff is happening. Imagine. You put on your glasses or headset and you're instantly in your home space. It has parts of your physical home recreated virtually. It has things that are only possible virtually. And it has an incredibly inspiring view of whatever you find most beautiful. Hey, are you coming? Yeah, just got to find something to wear. All right, perfect. Oh, hey, Mark. Hey, what's going on? Hi, Mark. What's up, Mark? Whoa, we're floating in space. Thank you, Mark, for appearing. Oh, he's actually there. Hello, Mark. How are you? This is what he said about the metaverse the other day, right? It's the metaverse about a time when immersive digital worlds become the primary way we live our lives. Now, to that, we would say in Europe, Right? What in the world are you smoking? Right? I mean, he, he's basically saying that this is the world that we're going to work and live in because obviously it's convenient, you don't have to move. Right? Maybe you don't even need a body, just the hat would be enough, I guess. Uh, that's what the metaverse is promising. So I call it the meta-perverse, you know, the, the kind of idea of using technology to escape. The important part of this is really to remember something, Right? is when we actually connect with actual people, it's something completely different. I always say one hug is worth a thousand Zoom calls. We should not forget that uh, dating is a great example. You know, I don't do much dating. I'm married, but uh, when you do online dating, you know you can find the perfect match with millions of profiles. When you actually go to the date, it's ninety percent that twenty seconds later you you regret your choice. Right? And why is that? Because the computer doesn't know the most important thing. Because it can't, it's not data, right? Emotions, consciousness, compassion, empathy, feelings, you know. Hard to imagine for a computer. So this is really what makes us future ready. Because really, this is what's happening. Anything that can be automated will be automated. So that's financial advice, doing your taxes, cleaning your car electric cars will have a self-service you just pull up with a robot the robot will fix it right i mean that's simple stuff more or less right but human stuff isn't simple like a therapist right even though people are showing ai therapists now too right? but things that can't be automated here's the flip side of this i think we'll talk about that in the questions later Uh, The flip side of all of that is when you have routine, you see stuff like this. This is in Deloitte's early warning system for financial distress. You see the financial advisor, the robo-advisor for banks. Uh, And, of course, you see uh, electric vehicles that can drive themselves basically routine things. And that's your future. Anything that's routine, the machine can and will eventually do. But you'd be surprised of the flip side, which is this. Well, actually, that's not the flip side, right? People think that because of this, we'll be useless humans. Machines will do the work. But of course, that completely ignores how many things there are that aren't routine. And there's actually quite a few of them. So really what's happening is, rather than this kind of idea of useless humans, is anything that cannot be digitized or automated, that becomes worth a lot. And that is your future role in the company or in your life as a leader. You will not be a leader because you know more than the machine. You will not be a leader because you're the fastest, or you're in the office the earliest, even though that will be part of it, I'm sure. But because you have the most of these things. Compassion, understanding, imagination, mystery, values. And the machine will support that process of making those big decisions. Most important decisions in life are not actually based on data. We always use data to make that decision, but in the end, it's something that we do because of the way that we look at everything. And so really, this is the uh, Indian philosopher says, Prahalad says, imagine the future may be more important than analyzing the past. Companies today are no longer resource-bound, they're imagination-bound. If we can imagine it, we can make it happen. And this is, of course, a typical thing you know, for energy that we have to think about what we can imagine in this future because the machines are binary. You know, They are just thinking of zeros and ones. Humans are multinary. We can think of everything at once. The best camera in the world, right? if you take the best camera in the world, can look at things and can process about 3% of what the human eye sees. 3%. A million dollar camera. And then on top of that, we have ears, we, we can feel things, we smell things. So the most fancy machine is capable of less than 1% of inputting right, that humans have. Will that ever change? It, it could. It's pretty far away, though. It's not like we're going to see that next week. Right? And machines don't do relationships. The most important thing in your life will be relationships, experiences, and engagement with others. And your customers will people who want you to engage and to have relationships with them. This is basically what we do. That's what business is all about. So that is going to be the point point of what uh, Seligman calls PERMA, which is positivity, engagement, relationships and meaning. And that's why you're here, of course, in this Pioneer program. Not because you're the fastest or the smartest. I think if you're Einstein or Jimi Hendrix, parallel speak there, right? You'll probably get anywhere without doing anything else than what you do. (laughs) But for most of us, it's a mix of these things that we need to do, right? Things that only humans can do. Take a look at how AI will change the job market. Down here, financial insurance, public administration, defense, declining jobs because AI will do some of these jobs, manufacture, of course, being number one. You're lucky because you're up here, right? Health, scientific, technical, communication, other sectors increase in jobs because they require human ingenuity. If you have kids, are you ever going to have kids? This is what you have to teach them. Human ingenuity, compassion, understanding, all the things that were in the circle before. That's all the stuff that machines can't do. Don't teach them how to compete with machines to be Right? Machines are for answers. Humans are for questions. So I can go to my computer, I can go to IBM Watson and say, tell me about the future of Switzerland. They'll give me an answer. In fact, I did that when I was in New York, looking at IBM Watson. He gave me or it, she, it, whatever, gave me 10 minutes of a talk about the future of Switzerland in a real voice of a real person. And not a bad talk. It's my job, right, to do that. But of course, the talk was kind of like devoid of any meaning, right? This <laughs> kind of combi- combining facts. So here's the bottom line for your future career: If you work like a robot, a robot will take your job. And if you learn like a robot in terms of going to school, you'll end up working for the robot. And a lot of our kids are learning like robots, you know, downloading information. Most of what we learn today in business school is completely irrelevant by the time we get out, because we have leapt another two or three times. <laughs> we have to make our own future there. So this is the most important pyramid of the day uh, for all of you. you when know, It's about networking, getting together, working together, uh, pioneering new ideas. Do not get stuck down here with intellectual knowledge, data and information because that's machine turf. A lot of that will still be human turf for some time, and it's good to have all that, right? but just information? There's a great Zen Buddhist saying that says, uh, uh, knowledge without wisdom is useless. And wisdom without consciousness is dangerous. So, just down here, that will not be enough to get you a future gig. You have to graduate to what I call the human turf, the top part. Deeper knowledge, tacit, quiet knowledge, understanding, wisdom. That's what leadership means. Leadership does not mean knowing everything. You can't know everything today, information is exploding. You have to use machines for this. So Today, because everything is connected, humanity is the biggest success factor. That's why you're here in person. That's why you network with everybody else. That's why you don't sit at home and just download information. A very, very important story as we go into that future. The story of purpose, of course. So in this world, I introduce you to the uh, Vitruvian man, which I'm sure you know from Leonardo da Vinci, my grandfather. Just kidding. Um, Even though he has almost a similar name, but I call this the Vitruvian man, the Neoluvian man and woman, and it's basically surrounded by technology, all the stuff we talked about earlier. So for us, it's going to be very important to accept that, but also to bring back what we are, which is nature. That's why you see here the mountains and the camping and the, you know. There's actually already a disease called nature deficit disorder. We don't have that much in Switzerland, I don't think. We're disconnecting from each other and connecting with our iPhones. Most people have more relationships with their screens than they have with people. So it'll be really important that you do this, right? Rewilding, it's called, there's a name for this, of course, right? Going back into the wild, reconnecting, recharging. And this is also the aspect of a green future, sustainable future, because this future, right? This future of technology around us is not sustainable for us. Because that's not who we are. It's very important that we understand both of this and going in both directions there. So, I'll wrap up by three tickets to the future. Basically, uh, for your professional work, these are the three topics that will change everything, right? Technology, digitization, Decarbonization, green everything, and finally, reformation. Uh, reformation is in the sense of change of the political and economic logic. And we've seen that everywhere. Reformation, of course, is the hardest part because it entails this kind of new logic, as I mentioned earlier people, planet, purpose, and prosperity. And that is quite a top, uh, a large mission, especially when you're running a business, of course. But that's already happening all around us. The economic logic is already changing. And you can bet in the next 10 years will be a major driver of change. So final thoughts, and we'll take some questions. First, don't get stuck looking at the past. The past is great, good to know. We have to understand what is coming ahead. Because what's coming ahead is faster and faster and faster not enough time for us to look at it and then say let's check it out by the time it's there you hit the wall right? so the future is now becoming a mindset right? another time frame this will be the decisive factor if you get the top gig or not right do you have a future mindset do you understand what's coming can you make decisions based on your knowledge about the future of course, you have to focus on today, you know, make money for the company, put food on the table, you know, trivial things like that. But we have to also have one leg in the future. Understand what's coming ahead of us, right? The ears. So you can buy the ears on Amazon. Just kidding. No. You have to develop them. Right? It's something that way you have an attitude of how to do this. And it's very important when I talk about attitude and the future, yeah, you have two choices. Unfortunately, in Europe, we're very often here on the left. We're afraid of things. We cannot go into the future by being afraid. We shouldn't be stupid and not use any caution. Just being excited. We have to find a compromise. Barbara Hubbard, as I said in the beginning, famous futurist, as you see the future, so you act. As you act, so you become. If you see the future as being terrible and you just want to hide, that's what you create. Well, you wouldn't be working for this company, I don't think, if you did that. But you know, creating a new future will take courage and positive thinking. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to CEOs and executives of companies who thought badly about the future. They will never do this. They will never accept that. Turns out, for example, COVID, right? We change all the rules. When there's an emergency, we change all the rules. Now we have climate change, global warming, climate emergency. We're going to change all the rules. This is, of course, great for you guys, because that's where the big opening is. We're going to see a climate tax for flying on an airplane. Every flight you take, mandatory. We're going to see a tax on eating meat. It's all part of the climate change emergency that's coming. So here, again, as a reminder, right? Let's think the future is better than we think. Let's discover what it can do. Let's go into a future with a positive attitude and, and, and widen our horizon. Yes. Mm. Henry Miller, one of my favorite writers, "Our destination is never a place, but a new way of seeing things." So I wish that you today can find a new way of seeing, of seeing things. And taking the right of view, the guy on the left is just looking at, at the current business, and the guy on the right is looking at the future business. Right? In reality, you kind of have to do both, you know, today and tomorrow. Um, I was in Portugal last week for a conference, and I saw Bertrand Piccard speak about what he does with the flights and the solar flight, power flight around the world. And I use that theme a lot, and so did he, right? Basically, impossible doesn't exist anymore. There are very few things that are left to be impossible. Nuclear fusion, which is the opposite of nuclear fission energy, right? is becoming feasible. Quantum computing, which means unlimited computing power, can change everything that we do. And now it's proven basically that we can indeed switch to a completely sustainable world. We have the tools. So that word you should cut from your repertoire. Um, That is basically over. So to wrap this up, one important thing is, you know, a bigger problem today is not what machines will be doing, in the future that can do away with us, but that we become too much like them. Don't let machines do this to you. You're only going to do whatever the click, the best click is. Or whatever makes you look best on Instagram or any such theater. So this is really, really important. We should embrace technology, but not become technology. When you become technology, you are a commodity. So, you should put just as much time into technology and to humanity, right? Human things, than you put into technology, even if you are a programmer, right? Or doing technical things. So, final word for Buckminster Fuller, who says, We are to be architects of the future, not victims. And I think this is a good final word to close on. You know, this is really the attitude that we must bring into the future, especially as pioneers and, and thinkers in this company. So, best of luck, let's take some questions.